It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, January 18th, 2021, and we are going to have another really interesting podcast. We're focusing our podcast January on economic and housing forecasts. There's so many guests we could have on. We've had Michael Frattentoni, who did a great job. We even slipped in a, a survey that was recently done at Finastra. That was last week. This week, we've got our own, very own Les Parker, who also does his annual forecast. So then we also have Barry Habib, who's going to give us his market survey. We're recording that this week and sharing it with you on our podcast. We may do that one as a special because we've got some other interesting stuff going on in February. We're going to launch in February talking about how to survey, how to stay in touch with your customer. It's going to be a real interesting discussion. And also, we're going to do a whole series on recruiting. I think that's an important part, especially whether it be loan originators or underwriters. Recruiting is a topic that has been requested of us a lot. And so we love meeting our listeners' needs. If you have things that you want us to talk about, please email me or text me. You can text me at 512-632-2900. You can get on LinkedIn. A lot of stuff comes to me by LinkedIn, David Licken, and well as David at TMS-advisors.com. We look forward to hearing from all of you, and we're so honored to have you as our listeners. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for you, mortgage professionals, and some realtors and others that listen in. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. And our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you listen to anytime and anywhere. Again, we got Les Parker is the Managing Director of Transformational Mortgage Solutions, our consulting firm. He's a partner in the business. Glad to have him coming on, giving his macro outlook on the industry. We're also going to have his update here in just a minute. Also, I want to say a special thank you to industrysyndicate.com. Check out all the podcasts there as well as mortgagemedia.com. Pleased to be a part of them. Also, we want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, starting off with the Mortgage Bankers of Association of America. We had Michael Frantoni, as I guess, did a great job. Also, Finaster, we had last week Dan Putney as our guest, did a great job on that, talking about the survey, as well as Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. These two co-ops do a great job of helping lenders and vendors get together in a more intimate setting and actually meet and talk about some of the issues. So it's really both of these organizations do a great job. I encourage you to check out both of them. We're members of both and each have a slightly different focus, but they basically are doing the same thing for the lender members. Also, Community Mortgage Lenders of America. Listen to the interview we did on September 21st with Michael Jones, as well as Indicom. And Indicom does a great job with their bot genius that they have that automates the middle office mortgage operations. And you can find a link in our website to that as we really appreciate our relationship with Indicom. They do a great job for many, many of our clients. Bot Genius, Indicom's Bot Genius, suite of new middle office automation solutions. Check it out. Also, Incelerate, Josh Friend does a great job 
helping you connect with your borrowers and with mortgage expertise and pre-designed campaigns that allow you to have a more meaningful engagement with the borrower. Also, celebrity home loans growing like crazy through acquisitions, as well as Knowledge Coop, Mobility RE, and Modex. Both of these do a great job of helping you recruit. We're going to begin talking about recruiting. We're going to be involving them in that series of podcasts as we go into it. Also, Velma, VendorSurf, Vidyard. Check out all of these on our sponsor webpage of our website. So good to have you with us. Also, a special thank you to Alice, Alan, Matt for their contributions each and every week. Welcome, everybody. This is the Lickin' on Lending Hot Topics segment. We're pleased to have joining us today live Les Parker. He's the Managing Director at Transformational Mortgage Solutions here, our consulting firm, and he's a partner in the business. I'm excited to get his macro view of the mortgage industry in 2021 and really looking forward to it. Les Parker, good to have you here, friend. So thank mm-hmm. you for the opportunity to share my reflections on what 2021 holds for the mortgage industry and the macro economy. Yeah, we're very excited to get your perspective on all this. And there is so much we could be talking about. And I'm interested in getting your perspective. But a lot of things you do, which is so much fun, is you do a great job of bringing sound music parodies to your predictions and or kind of what you see the market overview. So let's talk briefly, let every one of our listeners know you do produce the TM Spotlight. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. Why don't we go ahead and listen to the first one, and we'll kind of launch off of that. TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Vaccines are done. It seems that stocks are so wonderful. A miracle. So bonds aren't beautiful. Magical. Who gets the COVID-19 vaccine? Healthcare providers, the elderly, and the most vulnerable. They are those with a BMI above 39 and high blood pressure. So who will cut ahead in the line? How fast will a black market develop? Numerous loopholes exist that could be exploited. Or to use the language of Wall Street, be prone to arbitrage. Separately, will the pandemic-induced investment in technology boost productivity going forward? By 2025, over 60% of companies will adopt Adopt technologies like cloud computing, big data analytics, and AI. It's so logical. These views are my own. Want more? Go to TMSpotlight.com. Yeah, okay, Les. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Dave, so I use all types of songs. And I enjoy just all genres, but most of them are songs that are in the culture. Not all, but most are. And it's just a way to kind of be lively. But this one just kind of fit. I wanted to talk about COVID and how the market's reacting to it and also Mm -hmm. what the long-term consequences are. Well, technology is the long-term consequences because it accelerates everything with the COVID. But Dave, I wanted to know about Alice Alvey. She had COVID and now she is free. She can fly around the world probably with no problem. But anyway, I do find the vaccine has really transformed the stock market. So what I was talking about in December has continued to carry on. Yeah, it it is. So anyway, let's get on into the impacts. Let's talk about that and economics. Sure. Well, first is that it's very practical that as more and more people experience COVID and end up with the antibodies, we know that the death rates are higher than flu. 
but we know that globally it's still not increasing the overall death rates uh, from country to country a lot more than what we normally would see. So in the United States, we usually see a million and a half people or so, a, a lot of people die every year. But yet with COVID, it has increased at about 200 to 300,000, kind of depending on who you're looking at. So overall deaths still are higher, but they're certainly not out of whack from what you would expect from some type of disease that really hits certain types of classes of people. So what's happened with the onset of the pandemic, the market has had to try and figure out, well, how bad is it? What are the death rates going to be? How can we actually go forward? And the markets have really assessed that, and it's taken them a long time to assess that, but over 10 months, we now see equity markets around the globe are stronger. There's a lot of reasons for hope from an economic perspective. Right. And where the vaccines are starting to get out there, it will take a couple of years or so, depending on how long the vaccines last, for the world to be back to completely normal. It will take a couple of years just to inoculate as many people that get, need to get inoculated or that have had COVID and have antibodies. And we have to also see how long all that lasts. But the markets have clearly said, since this really affects older people and affects people that have a high BMI, those are the two major factors. To kill you, that is, that's, those are the people that are most vulnerable. Then the vast majority of economics or the economies are driven by people below 65. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean that people over 65 aren't investing. They are. They're an important aspect of investments. But in terms of working in the marketplace, need to interact with people, it's less. So that has created hope in the marketplace, which has caused equity markets to be higher and has not really translated in lower prices in bonds or that is higher rates. But now we are starting to see that. By the way, I got yeah. my COVID vaccine, even though I'm not 65, and it's because I have asthmatic tendencies with any type of infection that I get. I've already had the pneumonia shots. My physicians approved me to receive those. And so when I went and talked to my physician about it, he said, you have the exact same condition I have. And he's a lot younger than me, but he said, you have the same conditions I have. And I went through a very rough time with my COVID and I still have lingering effects. You're getting the vaccine. So I took the note, took it on down to the county health department, and I've been inoculated. Well, let's talk about that really moves us on to the next soundbite that we want to get into. It's recovering from the pandemic. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Maybe we should go in and play that soundbite next. TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. Unconventional. Unconventionally. U.S. will grow unconventionally. The crashing U.S. dollar lifts commodities and sends rates higher. Despite worries about the U.S. election fraud, stocks and bonds anticipate divided U.S. government a return to Obama's slow growth and capitulation to China. The global bond bears see mountains of debt, unconventional recovery, and uneven inflation. Under COVID-19's influence, subsets of GDP and CPI clusters in ways never seen, which creates disparate impact on people and places. The U.S. will grow 
unconventionally. These views are my own. Want more? Go to TMSpotlight.com. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to know the unconventional growth that it has on us. What's your thoughts on this, Les? An even recovery. It's an uneven recovery and means that there will be those that struggle. There'll be others that thrive and still others that won't survive. So we have to talk about the underclass, the poor and the working class. They are definitely being hit hard by the pandemic. The Mm -hmm. proletariat or the working class, and they are kind of in the middle. They might do well, they might not do well. They make money from their labor. So Mm -hmm. they do need to be out into the workforce. And then you have the bourgeois, that's you, the upper (laughs) middle class business owners, And, you know, we are in this kind of no man's land, too. But for the most part, we do pretty well. Like there was like not many people that when the COVID hit in New York City, traders were still trading and we had people still doing certain deals. We found that there were still people doing financing. We saw took about 45 or 60 days for the mortgage markets to settle down. But mortgages have been going gangbusters. I mean, look at what we've seen in 2020, near record levels of originations, and we had near record margins. So it's definitely been uneven. It's going to continue to be uneven. We live with blurred lines today, so we don't really know exactly where all this is. But I would say that there's a lot of reason for hope if you are able to do things remotely. And if you're a pretty spry age and you're not significantly overweight, I mean, 39 BMI is, you know, very overweight. So, yep. Alan, your thoughts as you look at some of the unconventional aspects of the industry, we're certainly working remotely. We're seeing some developments, any developments in the world of technology that are directly related to the remoteness? Has there any been really shift on technology? Yeah. Very interesting question. You know, the shift to remote work, I, I keep seeing all different articles. Like I saw an article yesterday that mentioned that if you think in-office work is gone, think again, it's coming back. But these are just, you know, opinion articles, right? So it says people are super productive, but the, the in-person connection that you get is missing. And I guess it depends on, if we talk about mortgage specifically, there are a lot of things that you don't need to be in an office for, and the office does cause distractions. And then you've got the rush of technology that had to come to get our teams out of office. And mm-hmm. so it brings up a, a lot of questions. Less, I, here's my question for you. And, and You consult and talk to so many lenders and so many different people at different levels of our industry, from the, the origination side to the secondary side to even the investment side. Is technology the thing you see that's still, hey, we still need to keep investing and We haven't gotten out of technology what we thought we were, and we're not there yet, or our vendors aren't doing what we thought. Or are you seeing technology with the folks you talk to make big enough strides that they're seeing the benefit from it, and then you mix the pandemic with that? What are you seeing? Well, I'm not as young as you, Alan, but it's interesting (laughs) how you have seen how much technology has grown in your 25 years or so of being really actively involved in technology. And it's it's certainly been a long-term trend. So with the pandemic, that trend accelerated. So mortgage bankers are saying they must adopt more technology, not less. They're not taking it slow and steady. They're putting their foot on the gas, at least the ones that want to be in business in 2022. 
what's funny, Les, is, is for those of you that don't know, and I, I won't spend a lot of time on this, Les and I worked together for many, many years at a technology company. And Les was the person that brought all of the knowledge that as a tech company you don't have or you, you can't keep your finger on the pulse. And Les continued to share that and bring that back in. And it was just so interesting. So we shared with Les what it's like to be a tech company. And so Les, your perspective really is from a tech side as well. You know technology. It's not just the market and the business of mortgage. So I appreciate your feedback there. One last question on that, since now everyone knows you're truly a secret agent tech guy. What do you think, if you had to put your finger on the next best thing in technology, the Les Parker opinion only, what would you tell our audience that you think is going to be the next best thing in technology? Well, I certainly don't know it on the individual level, but I do know where the two areas are that we have to scale. Underwriting must get scaled in mortgage banking. There's movement towards it. Certain elements are happening. It is going to really accelerate in the next year or two. The other area is customer interaction. So far, mortgage banking remains really clunky on the way it connects all of the different stakeholders. Those stakeholders need to have instantaneous at their fingertips, whether it's on their phones, iPads, or whether it's on their computers, or whether it's on their smartwatch. They need to be able to know where things stand at every moment, and also who's taking action, who's responsible. That's where we're going to really see mortgage banking on the way it interacts with its customers. But I would say stakeholder interaction and scaling underwriting. That's the areas I'm seeing. That's where I expect there to see things. Obviously, there's a component to that. Blockchain is starting to get into the mortgage banking area. It's still in its infancy. That's right. where and you and I talked about blockchain about six years ago. And we started beginning some of the work at our former company to where, how does this look? Where does it need to integrate? Well, it's now starting to make its way into mortgage banking. Yeah. yeah. By the way, we have Brian Fitzpatrick, your former boss of LoanLogix, has launched his new company, Credible, Q-R-E-D. I-B-L-E. Congratulations on your launch. Looking forward to getting him back on here. But speaking of insights into where things are going, I'll be really looking forward to see what he has launched and his new venture. Alice, you're here with us. And then as we're looking at recovery from the pandemic, both personally and professionally. As far as how we've managed the pandemic, our IT department was brilliant. Now, we were all already on laptops. So, you know, trying to get equipment wasn't a problem. Converting everyone to home was really an amazing pivot. So I think we did fabulously. Now, you can't downplay how difficult it is when you're missing some of that interaction, right? right? So it, we talk a lot with our teams about the effort it takes to reach out, keep in touch, and actually have a, a conversation. So some of our meetings, we've actually said, you still got to do that. Show up five minutes early to have those casual conversations before the meeting starts online, right? Some simple things like that. But from a technology standpoint and at a high level, we've just done amazing. So I'm really proud of the company for the customer service we retained and the partner interaction that we've retained. So Les, I have a question about CSBS's final rule on trying to get the non-bank mortgage servicers, what does prudential regulation look like? What does safety and soundness look like from a financial standpoint? And there was a recent letter, I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, that was published by the Urban Institute in a response to this and saying, should FIFA be our regulator, speaking as a non-bank entity? Should the Federal Reserve be our regulator? So other industries are now coming at us for 
being stronger in safety and soundness when we already have a ton of regulations. And I'd love to know your thoughts on this as far as non-bank financial safety and soundness standards. And do we really need a big change? And what can we do to help slow this uh, pressure? Well, I do think that we're going to see significant change in that direction towards safety and soundness, not necessarily that the industry that I think from your perspective, my perspective, that we need that much more. But if we look at who's coming into uh, the CFPB, Rohit Chopra, and also we Mm -hmm. see that Janet Yellen will be the head of Treasury, both of them want high government regulation in consumer financial areas. Rohit Chopra was actually formerly headed up student loans at the CFPB. He was one of the founding people at the CFPB, so he definitely has a perspective that government should be telling business what to do and how to do it. Most regulators historically, the controller of the currency, FDIC, state regulators have taken more of an approach towards regulation that is a collaborative, in a sense, effort with the people that you're regulating. What's the areas where there's concerns? And you had a somewhat openness between regulator and the person being regulated. That was not the take under the CFPB when it originally opened up. It was very confrontational. And it almost was, we're going to design it through litigation. And as we sue you, you'll discover what it is we really want. And that's a capricious way of trying to regulate entities. But uh, unfortunately, I do think we're going to see a certain amount of resurrection of that. Let's get in less talking about free speech and how impaired it is. If you wouldn't mind. Alice just mentioned Urban Institute and Lori Goodman's over there, who is a fabulous analyst in the Mortgage Analyst Hall of Fame. And we say that these people are people we should look historically to. And Lori Goodman's one of those. And Mm -hmm. She doesn't politically think the way that I think, and one of her good friends that they've done a lot of work with is Andrew Davidson. I've known for 30-something years. My former business partner, he actually worked for Dan Grafer. He worked for them for a number of years after he worked for me and building all the models. And now he's a senior financial analyst at Freddie Mac. So what do Lori Goodman, Andy Davidson, and Dan Grafer all have in common? They're all on a different political view on what we should do in economic policy as well as in political policies than what I am. And yet, as Matt Graham talked about, he says, we have to be able to see both sides. And we aren't here really to push which side we want. We have to be able to assess the markets, particularly from my perspective. I have to assess the markets and where it's going to be going, where are the trends, That is, in a certain sense, agnostic to one's political ideas. And yet, we have to be able to debate those political ideas, which I have with Lori Goodman, with Andrew Davidson, with Dan Grafer. And also, you and I, you've had Mona Shami on before, and you had him and I debate about it. He and I come to similar outlooks of trends, and yet... He is a neo-Keynesian, and he comes at the view from pretty more on the left of political views. There has to be debate between different political views, different economic views. There is no single answer. I know that I'm right, and Logan thinks he's right, and Mm -hmm. Matt thinks he's right. 
And Lori Goodman thinks she's right. But we have to be able to talk about the issues, hear their perspective, and figure out which one is the market really going to adapt to. Interesting, Dave, a good friend of mine is in the liberal camp, and I've known him for 30-something years, and we have regular dialogue about the markets. And we commonly agree on where we think it's headed. But it is very useful for us to kind of have that friction on trying to understand things. Let me give one other kind of thought on this thing. Market participants tend to filter out political noise that does Mm -hmm. not directly impact economic activity. The suppression of free speech in the United States impacts markets indirectly. When analysts, when markets can't look at and network about political consequences without fear of being branded or banished, the risk Mm -hmm. is that we will have surprises in the market. That's where we end up. We have to stay free in analyzing news and analyzing data and its impact on prices of all things in the marketplace. And so true. It's difficult to accomplish that sometimes. Let's let's move on to the next soundbite. And we're going to do two back there. Here we go. Here's the first one. In trade, we must confess that China's getting the best, the best, the best of us. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Big media, big business, and big tech. They're so big they get their own big want to surrender to China's economic power, while the middle class loses big time. Powerful elitists think they can tame the dragon and make lots of dinero. The Chinese Communist Party makes a bad trading partner because it wants global power more than big tech. Long term, freedom loses. But near term, China and elitists partner to get an economic boost. Couple it with Trump's pro-jobs policies already in place, and inflation wins. Are borrowers getting the best, the best, the best, the best of you? These views are my own. Go to tmspotlight.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. So I can't even remember the group, but I know it's a really popular group out there. And I don't listen to that type of music. But I really felt that drives home the point. I mean, it's a driving song. And it's talking about being the best of you. Guess that's what mortgage bankers need to be. You need to be the best for your customers. And I think right now, with all the things that are happening, there are some really big trends happening. Mortgage bankers... Be aware of those trends. We have big media, big business, big tech, and we do have the conflicts that we have with the Chinese Communist Party that runs China. So those are more backdrops we, yeah. for what mortgage bankers need to do. They, they need to be able to serve their customers the best and deliver the best. Let me underscore this. If a mortgage banker and a mortgage originator a bank that really focuses on mortgage banking. In 2021, if you are not aggressively pursuing how to scale your business and interact better with your customers, you will lose by 2022. We're in the midst of a major contraction in the mortgage banking industry. It has never happened before. We've had ups and downs huge contractions, big expansions in the business. There is no long-term trend in mortgage banking. There is in banking, 
we are 16,000 banks in the United States. We're now below eight. Mortgage bankers have never gone through that long-term contraction size. It will happen in 2021 and 2022. The only ones that are going to survive are going to be certain niche players and those that are scaling their operations. That's why we're seeing large multiples for certain public companies. But when you look at independent mortgage companies, they are not pulling down those type of multiples by anywhere close. Traditional investors in mortgage banking are not investing in mortgage companies right now. We've been very fortunate. Transformational Mortgage Solutions is going to be representing the, we're going to have as many closings in this quarter as anybody else in the industry in representing buyers and sellers and bringing them together. There's not a lot of activity, but we are in the middle of it. In a big, big way. And I think that's really an important point. I think what you're saying is it's consolidation, not a, a shrinkage of the volume. I think we're going to have a very strong year. It's just the number of participants. And you pointed out real well, Alice, you're with a company that is growing rapidly. And you look at how Bill and Al have just focused on growth. They seem to recognize this. You want to comment on that? Yeah, I think the term that we use is growth is oxygen, right? Mm, that's that's good. the oxygen that you need. So we are constantly growing. And that doesn't mean just hiring, right? There's obviously a lot of recruiting going on, a lot of marketing going on to make sure that our name is known and our business is out there and really just our reputation. But yes, we focus a lot on growth and our mantra is continually growing. So we don't look at that, okay, we just had a big boom year for refis. We plan on retaining that kind of volume and growing again this year. That's wonderful. Yeah. I love that. If the MBA is right and Fannie Mae is right, we're going to see a drop in originations from over $4 trillion down to right near $3 trillion. So that's a 25% or more drop. And that drop in originations will all happen in refi. So purchase money will increase slightly, but refis will dramatically drop. And it probably is going to happen in the second half of 2021. And in fact, one of our competitors, but a great friend to uh, me, and I know that you would honor and appreciate Joe Garrett, yep. he just pointed out uh, the other day that margins are knocking 400 basis points, 300 right. to 400 basis points. And they were back in 2010 in a healthy market were around 200 basis points. And I thought what he gave us an advice is great. Can you look at your business model and run it off at 200 basis points and see what you would need to do to be able to run off of that? And what you're going to find is you're going to need to be able to call those that are not really coming up to speed. A company needs to be looking at who are the bottom 20% in production people that need to be on that cut list. And you need to keep that cut list up to date. Yep. I think it's really interesting that, Alice, your company is doing is growing organically rather than just going out and acquiring companies. Not to say that you wouldn't be open to acquiring companies, but you really are pushing it through organic growth, which is excellent. We'll do both. But to, to Les's point, as far as if you were a purchase shop already and you didn't completely retool just to accommodate the refi, certainly we all had to make adjustments to manage that volume. But being a purchase shop in the first place really makes a big difference. So good advice. Uh, I hope everybody took a note on less than 200 basis points. Yeah, let's play the last soundbite. PM Spotlight. Here we go. Yep, soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Don't let your hedge go. Because every hedger tries. 
Will the bears finally push above 1% in the 10-year yield? If so, will they stumble at 1.05 or rumble to 129? The weak dollar underpins the treasury bear market. Mortgage bankers live in phony Nirvana. With the government owning the GSEs and Fed supporting the MBS market, phony is real when it generates lots of cash. But who survives beyond 2020? Those that scale underwriting and connections with all stakeholders. Meanwhile, hedge on. Hedge on. These views are my own. Want more? Go to tmspotlight.com. Well, you know, I've been looking at seeing tenure going up above 1% for, I don't know, a number of weeks. And yep. people are saying, it's, it's not going to go there. It says, look, it may be treading water, but it's going to break 1%. It did. Yep. Then we ran up to, I think, 119. We pulled back a little bit. And right now we're in the midst of another rumble upward. I do see that right now we're getting a little bit of a pullback, a little bit lower rates. It's not going to go really low. Maybe we, we might go just below 1%. But we're going to be getting up to 129 in a fairly short term. Now, I thought I might kind of focus on some longer term issues. If your friends out there would pull up Matt's uh, machine, and see some charts on the 10-year, what they will see is that in January of 2000, the market started to almost turn off the secular bull market that started back in the mid-80s. Some would say the start date was 82, 83. Other ones say 84 or 86. It it doesn't really matter, but we'll just say the mid-80s is when the secular bull market started for interest rates. So rates were a lot higher. I originated loans. I used to be an originator. I originated Mm -hmm. loans back in the 70s and 80s. And my highest rate loan I ever did was a uh, 16% VA, or maybe it was 18%. I think it was a 16% VA and did uh, a lot of 13.5% and 14% conventional. So that was a lot higher rates. And now people are doing two and a half and three percent loans. So that is a secular bull market. If you're wondering the definition of secular bull market, when you go from the mid eighties all the way to 2020, and that's a 35 year span that rates drop, then that's a secular bull market. We've had a couple times in that period where it looked like the bull, the secular aspect, the very long term trend. We've had bull bear markets in all of that time period, a, a few of them. 94 in probably was the most notable one. But one that was going to break that long-term secular trend, we've only came close twice, 2000 and 2007, which are interesting. It tells you how markets kind of anticipate things. And then both those, they significantly dropped off. We had the dot-com bust, and then we had 2007 financial crisis. But right ahead of it, it looked like it was going to break out. Then in 2018, we actually started to form an attack on this secular bull market. It looked like it was the beginning of it. And it was moving into the election, the midterm elections in 2018, which the Democrats then took over the control of the House. And with that, the anticipation of pro-growth policies ended. And so we started seeing lower rates almost immediately. And in then... A year and a half later, rates were down back to their old supports of a 150 basis. I'm just using the 10-year as a reference point, 10-year yields. It went back down to 1.5%, and then COVID-19 came. And with that, all trends accelerated. Rates went down significantly lower. 
and we're still not off the mat yet, but I just thought I'd bring out a couple points. I do think that we're going to see interest rates in the United States in 2020 and mortgages be above three. I think we will probably get a, a decent run to 4% sometime probably late in the year. Growth, whether it was going to be Trump or Biden, was going to be strong in 2021. There were some long-term challenges with a Biden administration versus a Trump administration. But right now for 2021, basically it's set in stone. There are some things that could happen that might mute it or accelerate it. Some people think because of the coziness that Biden has with China, that that's going to actually cause an increase in growth because there's going to be more friendly policies towards China. That will feel really good in 2021. So we might get some decent growth. If you look at uh, Mark Zandi, who is one of the leading neo-Keynesians and a strong Democrat, I read his stuff. I have to know what people's uh, perspectives are. He thinks that the growth rate will be a little bit stronger uh, than what was considered under uh, Donald Trump in 2021. The challenge is going to be is 2022 when the tax consequences, when the regulations start really kicking in, that's when we're going to see some challenges. So interest rates this year, 2021, going to be mid threes? Mid threes, I think we're going to see in the second half of the year. First half of the year, it's going to bounce around. We might even see one more dip, but I don't think so. I think we are establishing a long-term bottom and that we are going to see the upper threes. There are some reasons why you could see a significant breakdown in rates. Those are all bad things. They are not completely off the table yet. But I think this uneven recovery that we talked about in the middle of the segment that's really what's going to drive. There's going to be certain segments that are going to experience, mm-hmm. I'm going to use this word and I'm not using it mildly, they're going to experience depression. And there's going to be others that are going to be experienced nirvana. And then there's mm-hmm. going to be others that's just going to be kind of like, you know, it's just kind of struggling, but yet you're, you're hanging in there and be okay. That's the way it is. So the barbell that we've been dealing with of, of the having extremes in the markets, uh, you might say the rich getting rich and the poor getting poor, accelerating with this new regime coming in and what's going to happen. Even though there's going to be policies that are going to try and stop the, the water from coming through the dam, they're going to try and do that through government policies. That's not what needs to be done. What was done, I think, in the last four years really helped to set the stage for bringing the two extremes together because we saw very low unemployment and we saw wages rising. So it's going to be interesting to see how that disparity changes. I don't think it's going to change. That trend is in place. That creates a lot of upheaval globally. The civil disrest that we've seen in the United States this last summer, and we've seen glimmers of it here recently for different reasons, that's going to still rear its head uh, across markets across the globe. Germany's now have a person that's probably going to become the new chancellor, but may not. The euro is dropping because of that election that is just going to be middle of the road stuff. That's, that's amazing. Alice, anything you want to add to it as we wrap this up? No, I just, I wrote what you said, Les, about the prediction by the end of 2021. I I got it up on my board here, and I look forward to checking back throughout the year to see where it really goes, because I think you very well could be right, and I think everyone needs to just be prepared for that right now. Yep. 
Next week, we've got Doug Duncan joining us. Doug is the chief economist for the Fannie Mae. We're bringing out his 2021 housing and economic forecast. So be sure to come back next week. And thank you so much for tuning in. Special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Indicom, Incelerate, Mobility, RE, Modex, and so many more. Check out our sponsorship page. Have a great week, everybody. and look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.